I am joined today by a local artist again. I feel recently throughout some of these we've disappeared around Manchester, Wales, Scotland, but here we are back in Cambridgeshire uh, and I'm delighted that I'm joined by Anna Hester. Good morning. Good morning. Nice to talk to you. Uh, likewise. Now you confuse me a little bit with your music because there is a, a, a quite an uplifting um, sound to your lyrics and your and the music behind it but there's a you know it's kind of smattering of melancholic doom and gloom in there too but then you're a folk artist so there needs to be um but i mean how and i guess i would describe you as someone who is uh, uh you know true to your traditional roots of of folk music but very much a 2020 sound to it as well how would you describe your own uh, I hate. I know artists hate being pigeonholed. But how would you? How would you f d describe your own music? I'm trying to get better at doing this because I think that it's it's you know it's not enough just to say oh I hate that question. Um, so I'm a singer songwriter primarily, but I don't really believe that's a genre because I think oh. people can be singer songwriters in any genre. Um, it's acoustic um, music within the very broad folk genre. So maybe alternative folk maybe popular folk is what you might call it. Um, and I'd say it's it's melodically driven, it's about storytelling. Um, but I think I'm, I'm a bit of an imposter in terms of folk because I think I did it the other way round, if that makes sense. So I grew up with a lot of pop and rock music, a bit of country to be fair. Um, Which you can hear. Had classical training. And so folk became this kind of happy medium I mean, I did, you know, I think as a child, we went to see Waters and Carthy and Kate Rusby and people like that. But I'm not from a family of folkies at all. I just, in the end, I think people kept telling me that's where my voice sounds right. Because I sing in my own accent and I've got fairly sort of pure vocal tone. And um, yeah, I just wasn't ever going to be a sort of dancing pop star, I guess. <laughs> I think of the storytelling that stands out. I love folk music because it is such a broad genre. Yeah. Um, so um, I know from a listener's perspective and a fan, I absolutely wouldn't call you a folk imposter, that's for sure. Um, <laughs> I think I'm just careful with the term because, you know, I think rightly so, people who work within trad folk are very protective of that. And it does start to seem to be stretched beyond recognition after a certain point. But, I, you know, folk just means people, doesn't it? So it's, it's the music of, of people and communities, wherever you are. Uh, I don't think uh, I've heard anyone sum it up better. So um, we're in the middle of July. Uh, how has how's lockdown been for you from a creative point of view? <laughs> oh, it's, that's a funny one, really. I think in terms of the stage I'm at with them, um, I'm working on an album. In terms of that, I was already in the mindset of recording and promoting and that kind of thing. So it's been really creative in that uh, some friends of mine put together a music video for me. I got to be a kind of creative director for that. But um, I don't know that I was planning to do lots of writing anyway. But what I have done is I've, I've been a mentor for a community arts project, writing songs, folk songs about North Cambridge. So that's been really creative. And I think I've got to the point with that now where helping other people write their songs, I'm getting a little bit restless and jealous and I want to write songs again. So I think coming that's... around a circular way has been good for me. So I'm fascinated by that. So firstly, can you tell us more about the project so that if people want to go and search and look it up, where they can go? Yeah, so it's called the Cambridge North Folk Song Project. Um, and the lead artist is a woman called Emily Peasgood, who is mostly a, a sort of sound artist and composer, I guess, but knows her folk music really well. And the idea is that we're putting together a modern day folk songbook of songs about the CB4 postal area where I happen to live. Um, so sort of Arbury, Chesterton, people who know Cambridge, the North Cambridge, basically. And, um, you know, it was all supposed to be big workshops and big rooms and very collective. And as it happens, I haven't met Emily in person. I haven't met Bob Hines, the other folk, uh, folk sort of mentor. haven't met any of the participants in real life, but it's lent itself quite nicely to Zoom sessions so essentially my role is mentoring people through the process of writing a song now, some people are experienced and they just want someone to sort of give them a bit of an editor's view other people have never written a song before and it's really fun to see them realize that that's something they're capable of so um sorry i just realized that rudely my phone had pinged during your answer then there you go that's um authentic um broadcasting oh, for you sorry about it. that Hopefully it won't be that loud well that's right if no one else heard it i've just brought it to everyone's attention instead <laughs> Um, so, because um, you're, I mean, I, I, the idea of, of um, writing a song, um, it's something I've not 
done before. And quite frankly, I'm not entirely sure where I'd start. So I guess if um, this is a two part question, one of which is what would your advice be for anyone who hasn't? And and in terms of that, how would you get that ball rolling for them? And I, well, actually, no, let me ask that one first because the second one um, is slightly more detailed. So say that again, how would I get the ball rolling? So how would you get, how would, if someone hadn't written a song before, how would you get them to, to start that process? What would your advice be? Well, to be honest, I've been drawing less on my musician knowledge and more on my teaching knowledge. I'm trained to teach English as a second language, which I think is is a great training for any kind of teaching, because if you're teaching people how to speak a language, then you have to draw on a lot of drawing and dancing and mime and all sorts of things. Um, so, yeah, with one person, I, I basically gave him a kind of what we might call scaffolding in education. So um, I sort of said, oh, I want your, your verse to have this many lines, uh, your chorus to have this many lines, do one verse on this aspect, one verse on this aspect. But I offered him three um, alternative ways of doing it, because that one, when you read it, you might go, oh, that's a bit restrictive. So then there's another framework that has fewer prompts, and then a third one that has even fewer. Because I find if I've got a sort of unfamiliar task, I want someone to give me every detail of instruction. But then once I get started, I might put that to one side. Um, so yeah, I think for me, it's kind of enabling people to recognize what they can already do. And when it comes to music and songwriting, most people, you know, they, they have a bit of a command of language. They, they, they know words and they know words they think sound good together. And, um, and then the musical side, it just depends. Most people I'm working with have learned other people's songs, so they know what chord sequences work. Um, and some people don't, you know, and they're just listening to music and saying, does this sound like a decent melody? And if they haven't any idea, then I, I can provide the melody. Have you ever written a song for anyone else? Oh, it's a very good question. I haven't written a song for anyone else. I did have, have two experiences I could mention. One was I grew up in Milton Keynes and I was part of um, a project called Great War Remembered MK, which was sort of doing a collective artistic history of the area during World War One. Um, because Milton Keynes is so often accused of not having any history, basically. Um, and so it was through the, a great organisation called Living Archive, we got to listen back to interviews that they'd done in the 1980s with people who remembered the First World War. And so that was a song that I ended up singing, but it was very much, it felt kind of like a commission to honour a certain thing. And the other experience, I mean, I went on a really good songwriting retreat in um, Hebden Bridge, and the tutors were Samantha Parton and Catherine Williams, and... Um, one of our tasks was to write a song for a kind of upcoming pop star. And that was really liberating. Uh, I never tried pitching it to anyone, but. <laughs> uh, but, but the reason why I asked that question is because as you said at the start as well, you know, you're very much a storyteller. Mm -hmm. So you draw your songs are drawn on your own experiences of life. Um, so when you're writing a song for someone else, I wondered if that would therefore become a barrier. Yeah, I think. I think it could be quite liberating, to be honest. Um, I like to have a sort of clear stimulus for a song. So if that's, if that was, you know, somebody else's voice or somebody else's style, I think in some ways that could help me to get started. It might stop me from getting to the same emotional depth sometimes. Mm. Um, but as it happens with the project, I'm kind of, all the people I'm working with are doing most of the work themselves. So I really enjoy that, stepping back and being more of a kind of enabler and a facilitator rather than doing much of the writing so we have 10 questions to go through i haven't asked any of them yet so let's <laughs> uh let's crack on these 10 questions are taken from the uh, end of inside the actors uh, studio and it's just a chance i know there's an ironic element to this which is you know i get a chance to to, to, to learn from some of my favorite singer songwriters um but arguably i can just do that by listening to your songs um so this is uh to get uh, to understand a bit more from a different perspective so the first question and you've um suggested that i make myself comfortable for the answer to this but what's your favorite word okay this was very hard <laughs> i started out by listing maybe 15 words and narrowing it down i decided to go with ampersand now ampersand is the word for the and sign mm, yeah and I didn't learn that word um, till I was 18, 19. Um, and when I learned the word for it, it felt like a kind of secret. And I've, I've gone on to be really interested in language and linguistics, so I like anything sort of slightly technical like that. I love the thing itself. I think it really reminds you of, um, 
you know, old letters, and there's something really personal about it. I use it a lot if I'm doing handwritten stuff. It's quick and it's fluid and it's personal. But I also just love the way the word sounds. Um, this is where it gets really kind of linguistically geeky, but um, obviously you've got the sort of nice repetition of the a sound ampersand, so this kind of circular, it sort of feels like the movement of the symbol itself to me, like mm -hmm. quite onomatopoeic. Love it. And the M and the P are both what you call bilabial, so you make them both with your, your, your lips, mp. But the end of the word, the N and the D, are both alveolar, which means you make them with your tongue against your teeth, sand. So it just has this, this unity about it that I think words rarely have. Um, so I love the sound, I love the meaning, I love the kind of slightly exclusive, oh, this is a technical word that not everybody uses all the time. That, that is thing. the best description for why that's your favourite word we've had yet, without okay. a doubt. Um, and also because I, I you know, I, I love the basis of that too. I mean, my favourite word, which is incandescent, is because mm -hmm. of the way it sounds. Yeah. There's a, you know, there's a, it kind of finishes in a very clean line, but starts kind of quite muddled at the beginning of that. So what are some of the words that didn't make, that, that were kind of were in the running, but didn't make the number one spot? Well, I worry about this in terms of my own ego, because I really <laughs> like the sounds that are in my name, like the ah sound, I like a lot. So I found myself listening, listing other kind of language words like assonance and anaphora, but also, you know, other languages. I love Italian words like cantabile, which just means like sung, you know, sing, song-like. Um, so yeah, I haven't got the full list in front of me. No, 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 that's fair like enough. That. I wasn't, I wasn't going to ask you to run through this. Although you did preempt <laughs> a question that I was about to ask, and you may have given the answer, or it might be something else, which I haven't prepped you for. Okay. Which is what's, but but that's only because of learning that you uh, teach English as a foreign language. But what's your what's your favourite foreign word? That is very hard. Um, there's a word in German, Waldeinsamkeit, which means like the loneliness of being in a forest. I think that's a really beautiful word. That's, I mean, that, <laughs> I love that word. Yeah. I love the description too. Um, and thank you very much for the uh, English lesson as well. I feel that this is going to be a veg <laughs> very educational conversation. Um, oh, so uh, what's your least favourite word? And you know I'm going to ask you what your least favourite foreign word is, just, just as a heads up. <laughs> oh, yeah, that's hard. Um, that I knew you went for a foreign word because I thought, well, maybe it's a word I find hard to pronounce, but... I thought, well, that's on me, really. You know, I could practice and get better at it. I'll try not to do this with every question, but with this one, I, I had all these different categories. I was thinking, okay, there's cutesy words I find really annoying, but I'm reluctant to include those because I bet people I know use them and don't know how much I hate them. Um, <laughs> there's certain swear words that I find really abhorrent, but I, I hate them so much I don't want to say them. Fair enough. And then there's kind of words that we think of as harmless but I think are harmful so the word I've gone with is bossy um, bossy is a word that is almost exclusively used to describe women and girls and I you know I totally get it yeah sometimes. I'd never thought of that but yeah you're right sometimes people are too assertive or, or clumsy in their leadership but I think that there's a real danger that if it's used about girls when they're young um, you know, it can have the opposite effect and it causes them to become a little bit too reserved. And there's other words too, you know, things like feisty and sassy is usually only used about black women. So I just want all those words to be banned, basically. Brilliant description of that. I, and do you have a favourite foreign word? A favourite? Oh, sorry, a least favourite. Hmm. It's very hard. Very hard. I'm not sure I can give you that one, to be honest. I mean... It's sort of basically anything I find hard to pronounce. I've been trying to learn some Chinese recently, and I think most of those words are my least favourite because it's just so challenging. Uh, I like the fact that uh, I prepped you for um, what your favourite and least favourite words are in one language and then just drop a bombshell on you that I want to know your favourite and least favourite word in all the other languages. But um, <laughs> Yeah, I'm uh, not don't... actually fluent in all the other languages. <laughs> oh, OK. Well, that's a, that's a, that's a disappointment. <laughs> so when, you, when you're writing, are you quite... Um, um, uh, what I'm thinking of, so firstly, what comes first, the lyrics or the, the, the melody or the music? So, if it's happening very naturally, you know, that sort of magical moment when a song comes to you, most common for me would be a chorus kind of landing. So the words and the melody in a sort of bit of a hook or a refrain landing all at once. I don't think you can really separate words from melody because there's a lot to do with the 
the stress patterns of language and the vowel sounds and how they work with certain notes. But if I'm sort of making myself sit and write a song, which I'm trying to do more of rather than waiting for inspiration, um, I do tend to start with words. Um, I've been writing a lot of songs over the last few years about postcards, so I would do some free writing in response to the image. And then I, it really happens in stages for me. I kind of have to separate myself from all of the output. I have to go back later and read the words again as if they're not mine, and then kind of sculpt into them to create more of a song-like structure. Um, yeah, but the music has come first, just not that often. So the reason I ask that question is because when you are writing the lyrics, how protective are you about certain words? How hard do you look into the lines you've written to try and find whether that particular word fits for a number of reasons, not just because it grammatically makes sense? Uh, and and you know, I'm curious, because you're such a wordsmith, it, it's interesting to understand how the words of the song then are, are constructed. Yeah, I think the reason I do the kind of free writing thing is because I'm so interested in that stuff that it can stop me doing anything. You know, I, I think it can be a real block. So you almost have to put on your creative brain and let yourself play and then come back with an editor's brain afterwards and fix that stuff. But I, you know, I, I do think just from years of, of reading and listening to good music and all of that stuff, I, I have a natural way with language, maybe more than some people. Um, but I think I'd rather sort of get it wrong first and then go back and fix it. But yeah, rhythm's very important to me. Like it should sort of, I think you notice things like the rhythm if they're wrong. Not, wrong sounds awful, but if they're unnatural somehow. And that can be great. Like, you know, I love people like Regina Spector who do weird things and then maybe that's meant to be part of it. But if it's standing out because it jars, that's what you want to avoid, I guess. Things like rhyme, I'm, I'm quite happy just to sort of see what crops up. I often just sort of like rhyme stuff within a line and then not at the end of a line. And it, it's a balance between being playful and, and sort of following certain rules, I guess. I think the idea of just writing it and editing it later is a wonderful lesson too, um, for, for kind of links into the question earlier about how do you start the process. So uh, thank you for that. What turns you on? So my answer to this is people who are good at listening. And I don't necessarily count myself in that. I think that, um, you know, amongst family and friends, I'll totally admit I can be the person who interrupts or who's like thinking of the next thing to say rather than really listening. And I think, you know, if I think back over good conversations I've had in the past or, or people that I've gotten on with really well when I first met them, it's the thing that they're, at, they're actually interested in what you're saying and they're actually listening. Um, and that you're both kind of, in the moment as it were which is quite rare these days with all of us checking our phones and stuff like that so i guess my how would you know if you're in a conversation that they are listening what's your qualification for that i think it's it's quite hard to put your finger on sometimes it's just this feeling of chemistry which i think is is almost not real i think chemistry is both people actually putting an effort into the interaction <laughs> obviously <laughs> you've got to be maybe compatible as people as well and I'm really not talking like romantically at all. I'm just saying with, with anybody, there's that thing of if you're both if you're both really listening, then when they say the next thing, I realise how meta this is and how under pressure I'm making you feel now. No, no, um, it's all right. I was already under pressure at the start. <laughs> <laughs> when they say the next thing, then you you know, you can hear that they have actually been paying attention and then it keeps bouncing off in a really nice organic way. So how am I doing? I think you're doing well. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> the key thing is, it's, it's just, I mean, I think Zoom is making people do this more as well, because you sort of have to wait until someone stopped talking. Whereas in real life, that's... It's easy Which is so against my instincts. Yeah, me, me too. I think, I'm not saying I'm good at this necessarily, but I want to be better. There's a good TED Talk. I think it's called 10 Ways to Have a Better Conversation. Um, and the woman in it explains um, how... This is a very natural problem that we have because we're able to process more words than people can say during like a minute. So you're always filling in the gaps with all your own words. It, you know, it's quite, it takes a lot of effort to sort of just listen to the one thing at one time. I, uh, I'm definitely going to search that video, that, uh, that talk out. Um, but I also like, because it's, I'm often saying, because I, I deliver social media and digital marketing training as my paid job. And um, I... I'm frequently saying that you'll be more interesting if you listen to what people are saying. So it's it's a fascinating, but almost feels slightly 
odd uh, at odds with each other when you're saying to be more interested you've got to say less of course if both people did that it would make for a very dull conversation yeah it's such a difficult one I think it it sort of depends on the person like if you know that you're someone who has a tendency to jump in and talk a lot like me then, then the advice to talk less is great but then I've, I've worked with some people who who need a push to sort of get involved and value their own contribution well, you haven't jumped in and interrupted so far, so maybe we should thank Zoom for that, <laughs> as you say. Um, so what turns you off? The opposite. People yeah, I had a feeling you were going to say that. I don't know why. I just... Yeah. <laughs> to be honest, that's where I started from. I thought, okay, figuring out what turns me on kind of comes from what turns me off. So, And I think listening means so many things. Um, I'm going to give an example that feels a bit dangerous because the person might identify themselves, but I don't think so. I was at an open mic night uh, a few years ago, and this guy, um, I think he's very friendly and very nice and sort of saying he liked my music, but we ended up on the bus together on the way home. And the whole, the whole thing felt like a performance of how clever and interesting he was. And he literally started getting books out of his bag to show me what he'd been reading. And there was this sort of flow from him. And I, it was so heartbreaking because I thought, this person's trying to impress me, but I would be much more impressed if he took a breath and asked me one thing about myself, or kind of knew his audience before telling me all these things, because there was a lot of mansplaining, if I'm honest, a lot of sort of explaining what literature was to someone who's, you know, studied it and taught it and all that kind of thing. Um, so yeah, I think it's, it's when people think that having conversations is just kind of um, detailing all their achievements to you, that kind of thing. Yeah, uh, I'd one of my say you call it um, willy waving. Well, no, you're going to have to go into more here. <laughs> <laughs> I'd not heard it. I'd not heard that as a description for it. I think that was just her suggesting that it's often a masculine thing to do. No, fair enough. Fair yeah. enough. That I mean, talking about throwing. As I'm looking for the next question on here, just having just thrown a curveball right at me. That was it. <laughs> Thank you for that. Um, and actually, talking about um, using your ears and the impact that can have on how someone feels about you. And you're right. It's it's professionally. It's all uh, areas of communication. I think it links in very brilliantly to the next question, which is, what sound or noise do you love? I love the sound of a cat purring. Why? I might sound like a stupid question because I think many people go, yeah, that makes sense. But I'm curious to know your reason. I think it's fascinating because it, it's a sign. I mean, I'm obsessed with cats. That's what you need to know. And I don't have one. So I'm, I'm sort of extra. Not that obsessed then. Sorry? Not that obsessed then. Uh, it's just not allowed on my tenancy agreement. Oh, uh, fair enough. <laughs> I'm waiting till I own property. <laughs> um, no, I, I mean, more obsessed than I would be if I had one, I think. So it's the sound of, of the, the animal feeling very comfortable. So that's interesting when I, you go back to the listening thing. of It's a sign that the cat's comfortable with you, which is really lovely in terms of the kind of bond. And I think it's just a really um, lovely kind of warm, low sound. Um, you know, I think often the sounds people dislike are quite sort of sharp, whereas this, mm. it's very sort of, it just seems to match the softness of, of the fur of the cat as well. But there's I, I a sound of, sorry there's a sound there's an absolute sound of contentment um, exactly which no i i can see that um although oddly enough the next question no no i'm more of a dog person if you ask me what sound or noise i hate it would be a cat screeching um mm -hmm. so um i think we may well differ in this area here and i suspect your answer might not be a cat related to the next question which is what sound or noise do you hate well i've gone for and i can't even describe this without feeling uncomfortable the sound of a fork or a knife scratching against a plate. So if somebody's cutting their food and it either they go too hard or it slips and it makes this kind of nails on a blackboard sound, um, it physically makes me cringe. I hate it. There's a, um, now I don't know if it still exists, but only because I remember, I think it was Chris Evans uh, talking to this um, cafe owner in Brighton who had a very strict policy about this. So that if, for example, when you were stirring your cup of tea, if you made too many connections with the cup, then they would pretty much kick you out. <laughs> yeah, they were funny, brutal. Though, because I think that sounds quite pleasant. You know, I think a, a sort of teaspoon against a teacup is quite pretty, but there's something about the, the speed and the force of the kind of knife against the plate that mm. makes more of a screech, I guess. I also find it impossible, as I did after I heard it, to stir a cup of tea without making connection with the, the end. It's way too much. 
mental involvement in that than there should be. Um, so um, you have kindly agreed to, to perform a couple of songs, but just um, before we go into the, the first one, um, the, you released a line um, during the, the lockdown a, a couple yeah. of months ago, which is a wonderful song and a video to uh, accompany it as well is great. But does this mean that we've got some material coming from you soon? Yes, so the full story which links to the song is that I'm working on an album and I have, well, I have been since maybe November, I've been working on the set of songs for a lot longer. So the songs are all about postcards and I started this as a project to get myself writing more. Um, but I eventually sort of had enough of these postcard songs and by postcard songs I just mean I wrote about the image or the place I got it from or the message or all of the above. And then we finally got into the studio in early March um, and did a very useful week. Uh, this is me at Gladeside Recordings with Dan Wilde, who is a fantastic singer-songwriter. Um, luckily, we had a really productive week of laying down all the arrangements for everything and some final parts, because after that, lockdown hit. <laughs> so it's quite good, because we've got a record of what we want to do, you know, digital version of the drums, digital version of the cello, whatever it might be. Um, but I, I was planning to release this in a whole different way, you know, maybe release the album this autumn, maybe release some EPs leading up to it. I wasn't entirely sure. But the only song that was ready was a line because it was only vocals and piano and it was all mixed and we were happy with it. And this to me was a, most, one of the most recent ones I'd written and I felt it was deeply personal and quite exposed. I was planning to hide it at the end of the album, basically. And when you say hide it, what do you mean as in one of those ones where you have a final song, then a bit of a gap and then it pops in, so it's not even listed or, um, I which I know artists used to do quite a bit. I think that's so much harder these days. Probably it was just going to be the last track. So featured, but only for the kind of dedicated fans, I guess. Right. But then Dan, my producer, suggested releasing it as a single. And I was quite nervous about this, but he pointed out that it... The words I use in the song, uh, the chorus is basically there's a line running through everything and it's you know a lot of messages of sort of connection. He said that really linked to the time we were going through with lockdown and I liked that because I think a lot of people have sort of written a lockdown song as a thing whereas I just had written something in September that maybe spoke to the time we were in. Um, and then yeah these friends of mine made a stop motion video which we wouldn't have done if it wasn't for the lockdown. You know, the, the limitations really sparked more creativity, which was great. I uh, I genuinely thought you wrote it during the lockdown because it fitted. Um, so um, talk about foresight um, in terms of capturing the mood of when it's released. So I'm I'm grateful for your producer to uh, convince you to to release it. Um, so what song are we going to to hear from you now? We're going to hear one of the first postcard songs that I wrote. Um, <clears throat> I love That's a concept. I, lo I do love a concept album. <laughs> yeah. Well, I wasn't ever intending to do one, really, but it just, you know, it started as a tool and then built into an album. So I started when I was on this songwriting retreat that I mentioned earlier, and uh, he wasn't one of the main tutors, but Boo Hewardeen uh, was there as a guest, and he'd written on this album with Duke Special, Under the Dark Cloth, it's all about photographs. And so I liked that idea, but I thought I'll add to it because if you've got a text on the postcard, you've got even more material, basically. So when I got back, I started writing a postcard song every week. Yeah, I didn't keep them all. Um, but someone I met on the course, a guy called Louis, sent me a postcard really early on. Um, now, he's an art student, but he sent me the most badly designed postcard of a castle in Scotland with the word Scotland on it in terrible, like, word art font, you know. And then very gloomy lyrics on the back, because I think he was sort of a bit fed up of winter in Glasgow. So the disclaimer is I've never been to Glasgow. <laughs> Apologies for the tuning noises. All right, you're a musician. Um, yeah, so it's sort of from the image and from the words he sent me, and it's a kind of, um, yeah, a message to my friend Louis. Lovely. Little letters crawl in monochrome 
tucked inside a study frame. This ink has traveled a long, long way to talk to me. With a regal profile watching over No storms could weather these words away And I hate to think of you alone in Glasgow Holding on to edges, letting go You're not the only Take this city by the hand A solid structure can withstand the wind No matter how weak you may think you are The beauty of the city's in its bruises The things we love get torn so go on, beat your drum deep. The fireworks shine bright tonight. Don't resist these concrete walls surrounding you. Home can be a different size. And I hate to think of you alone in Glasgow Holding on to edges, letting go You're not the only one alone in Glasgow So take this city by the hand and I hate to think of you alone in Glasgow Holding on to edges, letting go You're not the only one alone in Glasgow So take this city by the hand so take this city by the hand. That was uh, absolutely beautiful. Do you know what? I kind of listened to that feeling that Glasgow became a bit of metaphor for how many people might be feeling in life as well. Um, you know, yeah, to, exactly. to kind of which I, I think is just kind of adds an, you know, uh, an even. Yeah, different angle to it, but it's a, it's a very beautiful song. And you have such a rich sounding voice as well that complements your writing so much. Thank you. Um, I was a little bit worried because my, uh, my interface kept kind of flashing red. So I um, hope it wasn't too loud. I'll nope. turn it down next time. <laughs> no, it came across, uh, came across very well from where I'm sitting. from the interface is a bit much sometimes, you know. It's just, you know, it all relies on data, not human experience. Uh, so what does, um, uh, so when can we expect this album to be out? It's a very good question. Um, full disclosure, I think the original plan was to release in November, but we've kind of got a bit of a backlog now because we've not been recording it. Um, I think early next year is, is the plan, um, but I'm hoping uh, to release another single. I'm thinking of perhaps that song uh, because it will be a very different sound to Align. We've got um, on Alone in Glasgow, you know, drums and bass and a whole sort of band sound around it, uh, which is fun as a contrast. Um, but you give me a good excuse to plug my crowdfunder. Far away. <laughs> so I was planning to do this anyway, and it's sort of, it's given me something to do with the album in this time when I'm not actually in the studio, which is so frustrating. Um, I think we are hopefully going to start recording again next month. But I've, yeah, I've got a page on crowdfunder. Um, it's quite long, so the easiest thing might be to go to my website, which is anahester.com, A-N-N-A-H-E-S-T-E-R. But it, if you search Anna Hester is making an album on Crowdfunder, um, then it's up there. And they talk more about the postcards and there's some nice clips of us in the studio and lots of rewards, as, as is the case with these fun websites. 
Hang on, I'm just making a, a note of this one. I love artists who crowdfund. I think there's you not only do you end up with this beautiful piece of art that you can listen to that might not have happened without that financial investment, but secondly, I think from a, a listener and from a fan, you get you feel like there's an extra not ownership as such, like an extra emotional investment into the album as well. Um so um I wish you every success with that. Um I am um, I, I have it loaded here on my phone and we'll uh uh, we'll have a look at that afterwards, but it sounds Thank like you're, you're going great guns with it at the moment, but could definitely do with some more. So if you are listening to this, then please go and help Anna out because I want to hear the album and it's all <laughs> about me. Um, so um, what is your favourite curse word? So I picked this quite carefully. Um, for context, as I keep giving you, I, um, I really hated swear words as a child. Um, to the extent that I had like a swear jar for the rest of the family. I don't want to out them here, but they, they swear a fair amount. Um, well, there's your crowdfunding solution, right? <laughs> yeah, exactly. I should do that again. <laughs> um, but I think two things have made me swear more in life. One is becoming a teacher, because you can't do it in the classroom, so then you sort of let it all out in the staff room. And two is becoming a driver. Like, I would never lean out the window and swear at someone, but I say awful things under my breath. It's, it's a funny thing. Um, but I've gone for something different because if there's a word I'm actually fond of, this is a German swear word that my brother invented. <laughs> Apologies to any... They all count. It's not in the dictionary, <laughs> but it's kind of logical. And you can do this portmanteau with German words quite easily. So the word is Scheißgewordner. And you might know the word Scheiße. Yeah. So now <laughs> kind of means a person who has become shit. <laughs> and it's quite judgmental. It's sort of saying you were good before, but now. But you can sort of use it to describe situations as well. Um, so so yeah, give me a sentence that would include the word. And so an English sentence um, that would include that you would then fit that word into. The thing is, I think we use it in the family more as a kind of expression of exasperation. Right. So if something goes wrong or someone annoys you, and to be honest, it's usually in a jokey way, you go, oh, mm. shit. You know, in the same way someone might go, oh, bastard. Yeah. That kind of thing. Um, yeah. Excellent. Um, it will, um, obviously, as a result of the popularity of this chat, it will appear in a German dictionary within a year or two, I don't know. That's my hope, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Do you ever swear on this, uh, in your songwriting? Um, no, basically. When I was younger, I, I definitely wrote a couple of things with sweary bits in them. And I, I enjoyed learning other people's songs, but I think it sort of didn't really fit with my brand very much. And um, I just, I kind of like, I mean, I think some of my songs are quite dark, so it's not always family friendly in that regard. Mm. But I like having stuff that I feel like I could probably be put anywhere and perform. And in fact, with the song Align, a friend of mine thanked me because her niece liked the song and she said, oh, it's so hard to find music that my niece is like allowed to listen to. That's quite so, sad. That is quite sad to think that that is the case, although, yeah. Well, I think when I was small, like the big pop bands were quite, I mean, you know, there were weird things around Britney Spears and people like that, but bands like S Club 7, there was something so innocent about it and it, the subject matter and all of that stuff. And now I think, yeah, it's, it's often, a you know, highly sexualized and highly adult, even the stuff that's meant to be for quite small children. Um, so I'm not saying I, I want to be a kids performer, but I think, I think I feel the same about comedy. I think you don't really need to swear. It, it, can, it, it can be a replacement for be, doing something a bit more intelligent. So I, I yeah, I, I think it can be great as a bit of impact, but I think um, it should be used sparingly, basically. It's like, so this is going to be terrible. But... Anyone listening to the audio version of this, because I'm about to highlight a book, but I'll discuss the title of it. But I feel like there is more versions of art where swearing is used to, to kind of make something stand out. So there is the, the very famous Mark Manson book, The Subtle Art of Not Giving a Fuck, which is a brilliant book. Mm -hmm. And I, you know, obviously, given that it's in the title and the basis of it, it appears throughout. Um, but I wondered if if that needed to be the case, because, again, you know, I'm not a prude and, you know, I have a fairly, fairly um, filthy um, uh, language when I want to. But at the same time, I also know that kids walk through bookshops 
Um, and although this isn't aimed at the child, they're going to see it and ask questions about it. Um, there's another one by Dan Meredith, who wrote a business book called How to Be Fucking Awesome. And again, the same rule applies. Did you need to do that? I don't. So, yeah, I think where people add it in songs, if I was on a political rant, if I was talking about how my life is, uh, you know, feeling I'm angry and I want to throw an angry word in there that, that might not be acceptable for young ears, I think that's absolutely right and, and okay to do. But when people do it, I feel for the sake of it, I get quite annoyed by that. Mm. Although I think I also should add that I think sometimes, um, maybe not even within songs, but between songs, women, as you say, particularly women who might look like me, fairly feminine, fairly young looking, hopefully still, um, are judged more harshly for it. And, um, you know, the, I have had some discussions with other, other female singer-songwriters who swear more on stage um, and who've been really um, in sort of criticised for it. And I think that becomes a problem if you're expected to be sort of ladylike in some old fashioned way. I think that, you know, it's just each to their own is kind of how it should be. If you're in a sort of over 18s bar and you're swearing between songs, I think it's fine. And it shouldn't be any different for women and men, basically. If you're performing at, a kid, at an 11 year old's birthday, probably less, less so. Um, I realise as well that this conversation has suddenly made this unacceptable for young ears as well. So the irony isn't lost on me there, but, uh, <laughs> <laughs> but it's the question. So I'm asking it. Right. Uh, next question. What profession other than your own would you like to attempt? I would like to be a theatre director. Um, I, I went, as a child, I went through stages. I wanted to be a painter, a fashion designer, which I don't have the skill for at all. Um, and then I was really passionate for a while about being either an actor or a director. And uh, I nearly applied for a university course in theatre direction, but then I chickened out and went for something more general, English. Right. Um, but I loved drama at school, and the first chance I got to direct people rather than just act, I found that so exciting. Um, you know, as I said earlier, I don't like the word bossy, but I, I do like being in control. I'll tell you that. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's the mentor in you as well, perhaps, that, that, that comes out there. So let's flip it on the other side then. What profession would you not like to do? I've gone for be in the Navy. Any role? Any role. Is it just because like you don't like the sea? I don't like being on boats. I don't like the sea. I thought, well, I, you know, I wouldn't want to be a trawler, but I think the, the fact that it also involves combat terrifies me mm. um you know if conscription was a thing i would dump all my feminism and say no i'm a lady i don't want to go um <laughs> you know so i think um yeah war war terrifies me and being on a boat and even just working in the outdoors i i struggle to see how construction workers you know cope as soon as the rain hits <laughs> <laughs> no I'm a bit of a basically I often feel when you say construction workers, it's the ones who work on roads and you drive past them in this horrible driving rain, trying to block out the swearing that you're doing in the next car. Um, but the um, and then you see, you know, road workers on the side getting absolutely drenched and you do feel for them. You absolutely do. Uh, so last question from this list of 10 then is um, if heaven exists, what would you like to hear God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? This question is so funny to me because... I'm um, agnostic, I guess, is the best word for it. But I think the, the first part of the sentence is sort of undermined by the second part. If heaven exists, and then I start picturing something. And then what would God say when you arrive at the pearly gates? God's anthropomorphic, and there are gates to heaven. Like, for me, that undermines the whole beauty of heaven. But if we're going for the stereotypical white-bearded guy and the literal gates, I think just something like, they're all here. You know, because I think, you know, the only appeal would be being reunited with those people who've who've moved on, as it were. Yeah, I think that's lovely. Although I've also suddenly worked out that you might be the worst person ever to tell a joke to. Because if I was to tell a joke like a duck walks into a pub, you go, well, why would a duck go into a pub for a start? And also they come under the English language and, you know, constructive, you know, they're, they don't have the power of cognitive thought. <laughs> terrible. No, I, I promise, or at least I hope that I'm not that guy. But um, I just think it's so funny because... Uh, I think one of the reasons many people don't believe in heaven is because they think it's this prescriptive cartoon. And actually mm. maybe it should be this really fluid, whatever would be comforting to you kind of thing. Uh, but you're right. I, I do hate that when people do that. So I apologise. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, no. It's all right. No, no, I think adding context to it is brilliant. And uh, although I'm just curious, uh, the agnostic side of it, I'm not curious about people who are agnostic, more to the point that I never truly understand the difference between someone who's agnostic or atheist. 
So my understanding, without consulting a dictionary, as I want to do, um, an atheist, uh, theist is, is, means like God, so an atheist means anti-God, no belief in God or any God. Right. An agnostic, I think, is somebody who, who is undecided on the matter and is open to the idea of religion but isn't of a particular faith. I think that's the best description that I've I've heard. I, I have looked it up and I've and I've tried to understand it better, but I think you've you've summed that up perfectly. You are most definitely a teacher. Um, it's um, I know we're going to have another song for you uh, in a moment, um, but I loved this conversation. I mean, I feel like I've learned quite a bit as well, uh, and it's wonderful to get to know you a bit better and to know the person behind some really beautiful, sometimes dark, but. Uh, really enjoyable songs to listen to and I can't wait for the new album I will be on the crowdfunding page and it, when people do go to um, find you where do you tend to direct them to do you direct them to Bandcamp or Spotify or, or do you just direct people to your website I think the website's good in that uh, links to everything else but I mean following me on social media is always a big help so sort of sad truth is that's what we need these days mm. um, you know, Facebook and Twitter and Instagram and Bandcamp is really important because we all spend a lot of time, myself included, streaming music. Um, but if you want to support an artist, then Bandcamp's the place to go. And fair play to Bandcamp for um, release for having some days where they weren't taking, uh, you know, all the money went to the artist too. So Definitely. well done then. Spotify, you can learn a thing or two. <laughs> yeah. um, so um, what's the second song we're going to hear from you? So the second song is, I think it's the most recent postcard song I've written. So it's the newest song on the album. And I chose this one because it's another one that's quite a literal postcard song and actually involves another person, which was always my aim with the project. And I, I've talked to you about my teaching. So this was when I was, I was working at a, a language school and um, a, a colleague came in. These places can be very sort of, um, what's the word I'm looking for? Transient, because people work for short periods and whatever. And a colleague came in and he just sort of said, oh, what's everyone doing tonight? And I did that classic cynical thing of saying, Oh, I'm, I'm going to try and write a song, but kind of apologising as I said it. You know, think, oh, he's going to think I'm a wanker who writes songs, you know. Oh, another swear, sorry. Yeah, <laughs> no one saw that one coming. <laughs> anyway, but this, this guy ended up being so engaged, good at listening, to tie everything together for you, and asked me about the project. And the fact that he was interested gave me more motivation that evening, but more than that, he went to Amsterdam for the weekend and brought me back a postcard. And on the postcard, he wrote about his whole weekend with his friends. And it gave me a new song because he was interested enough to give me a postcard, which felt like a kind of something to be accountable against, you know. And just that open-minded, open-hearted thing that I think we don't get enough, especially in this country, of someone saying, oh, that's great. Can you tell me more about your project? Um, so, yeah, it's a song for Jack. And it's called um, A Boat Called Friendship because he stayed on a boat um, in Amsterdam called Friendship. So I think it's the, it's the cheesiest title I've ever come up with, but it's, it fits what the postcard actually was. I don't about. think there's anything wrong with cheesy, quite frankly. <laughs> mm. Yeah, and in a way, I think it liberated me to write something a little bit more sentimental because... Um, because he was, yeah, helping me to tread, sort of get rid of that cynical bit, I suppose, that lurks in me. Um, and I won't say too much, but this is another one that I've noticed since lockdown has taken on new kind of meanings. So see if, you know, see if you can spot any of that. Send me a postcard from nine years ago we took the train through the undersea tunnel to Amsterdam. We sat on a boat and we sang madrigals. We bought vintage clothes. I rode on your shoulders and like a child, I saw the world. I saw this and thought of you. Of your eyes, of your smile, of your company I saw this and thought of you Nine years ago on a boat called Frenchie Send me a postcard from somebody new I'm looking 
backwards, but when you are steering, you must look forward. I hardly know you, I know you are kind. Kindness in strangers is so hard to find when you avert your eyes. I saw this in thought of you, of your eyes, of your smile, of your company. I saw this in thought of you. One week ago you showed me forget to remember and we don't stop to count the years because the distance is hard the distance is hard the distance is hard the distance is hard, the distance is hard. I saw this train through the undersea tunnel to Amsterdam. Wow, wow, wonderful. And I completely see the idea of it being relatable to the time we're in at the moment. I think, you know, especially that, that line, um, kindness in strangers is so hard to find when you avert your eyes. Uh, I think it's uh, a, a wonderful song. I can't wait till that album is released and uh, I'm glad that we've got these two performances to to keep us going until then. Thank you. Uh, so thank you very much. How did your um how did your meter read as you performed that one? I mean, it sounded great that, from me. That one was okay. You might have noticed a little bit of moving backwards. Yeah, yeah, I did. I did. I and the smile on your face as you did it as well. <laughs> <laughs> um, such a funny thing. I've gained a lot of confidence in the last few weeks, but I think being asked to do all your sounds on your own remotely like this, it's it's just so strange because um it just never sounds the same right here as it does the other side there's a lot of faith involved isn't there there is well um have faith that you sounded amazing <laughs> um both in the performances but also in your stories as well so thank you so much anna and i can't wait till we're back um and uh, you can come to St. Ives and um perform uh, as part of the St. Ives folk sessions as well and that would be great for more of the town to hear you too that would be lovely thank you um but until then yes thank you very much for your time and um good luck with the uh, the rest of the new album i hope you can get it recorded and um, we can all enjoy it when it's out and thank you for your time again thank you so much for having me